Welcome back to Assessment Joining the Dots. We are GL Assessment or GL Education, depending on where you are in the world, and we're the leading provider of formative standardised assessments in the UK and Ireland and work with schools in over 100 countries worldwide. We're doing this podcast because we're passionate about supporting teaching and learning the best way we know how with robust, reliable assessments and assessment data. But also, really importantly, we want to give you the tools to make the best use of the insights from your data. Ultimately, we're all here for the same end goal, empowering learners to flourish in their education. And we love that we can play our part in supporting you to gain the information you need to do this. You'll find some reoccurring segments like our data spotlights, where we take some of the more commonly used terminology and standardised assessments and explain these in a totally transparent, accessible way for everyone. We're growing more and more aware of the lack of really good quality assessment training for educators across the world. So we're really hoping to support as many of you as possible to plug that gap. Whether you're using our assessments or not, we hope this podcast is for you. If you're in education and you feel like you could do with knowing a bit more about assessment, we're going to discuss topics that matter. Thank you so much for supporting us and tuning in to listen again today to episode two of Assessment Joining the Dots. And today our focus is on my favourite topic of conversation, reading. So I am Georgina Cook and I am so excited to be your host on this episode on reading. Reading ties really all my jobs together. It's been the bloodline through the work that I have done as an adult. I started training as a middle school teacher in Cambridgeshire but then decided that before I went into the classroom, I wanted to do a master's in literature. So before I started my first role as a secondary teacher in the east of England, I did a master's degree in English literature, which I loved. I think I tried to stay in learning as long as possible, to be honest. But teaching for 20 years means I've done various leadership roles. Anybody in teaching knows that you're given so many hats to wear, aren't you? But English and literacy have been the main ones. So reading has been the thing that kind of ties all of those things together. I was head of year seven and I did lead transition for a while, but I soon came back to curriculum as inspiring young people to love reading and love books has always been a driving force for me. When I left the classroom to join GL a couple of years ago, I led English across an all through trust. And I used to use NGRT or our new group reading test in my last role. And to be honest, I couldn't have done my job without it. But I did have a lot to do with the data. And one of the things that we want to talk about today in the interview with Beth is how do you bring that data to life? Because it wasn't really until I started working for GL that I actually kind of thought, God, I wish I'd done that so differently because it was really difficult, I think, for colleagues across the school that I worked in to really understand that data. So my role now is to specialise in GL's language and literacy assessments, which I love because I can keep abreast of latest research and also support schools to deliver the best literacy and language support for their learners. But one of my main aims with this role is to make the process of understanding assessment data easier for everybody, something that they can pick up and just run with. We know as specialists we've got to know the detail in the assessment data. But all adults, if we are really trying to move reading forward, need to understand the nuance of need of all learners in their care. So hi, today we are lucky enough to talk to Beth Morrish, who is Director of Literacy at Meridian Trust in the east of England. And I have been working with Beth in my role at GL for the last 18 months, I think. So welcome, Beth. Do you want to start by giving listeners an insight into you? 
tell us a bit about your background and what you do in your current role. Absolutely. So thank you so much for inviting me along, George. Really appreciate that. I've been working in schools for nearly 20 years now. I first trained as a secondary English teacher and I've been head of Key Stage, assistant head, director of a small teaching school. And I now hold this role as director of literacy. I work primarily with the secondaries across our trust. We're a big trust in the east of England. I also lead on the teaching and learning part of our trust-wide professional learning program. And I'm a facilitator for the MPQLL, uh, the Early Career Framework and our ICT program. So I wear a lot of hats, but as for the job sometimes, but I, I feel really privileged to hold these roles because they, they bring together two of my passions, helping students to become confident readers. I, I feel so strongly about that. I think once a child can read confidently, the world, it just really opens up to them, but also helping teachers to become really skillful in their roles so that they're effective and that they feel effective. I think we've got teachers that are investing so much energy and time into the work that they do that they need to see it actually paying off and, and seeing their students flourish. What I'm trying to do for schools in our trust is to, to make it come a bit easier for them to support students who who are struggling with their reading. And I think you're so right. Probably why we could talk forever about this, because we both <laughs> have quite a similar background. We both yeah. are, you know, people would probably think, oh, well, you're lucky because you're an English teacher, you love reading. But actually, the reason why I do the job I do now um, is because we know how important it is. And it's not just about skill. It's just, it's about enjoyment and actually about accessing the world around you and having ideas and creativity and Reading does all of those things and more. It's not, um, yes, we need to make sure children can read, but it's it's so much more of a bigger cultural thing than that. It's, it opens doors to them. It really it does. does. And I've, I really, what you said about um, kind of going in and trying to just support staff, obviously that's primarily what I do now at GL. So it really resonates with me. And I think we're bombarded, aren't we, by these statistics that are quite harrowing like 17% of children we know leave secondary school with poor reading skills and as teachers of secondary children you think we work tirelessly to try to make sure they go out into the world ready and that they can have that kind of motivation and independence that they need to access the world around them so there is a real pressing need to understand how to support reading in secondary school I think that's definitely been true certainly for the last five six seven plus years how we started, I think, probably developing our friendship is trying to think about how to get some of that data into the hands of teachers so that they feel empowered to do something with it. And that was our kind of, both of us, I think, a light mold moment to go, okay, right, NGRT is designed around the simple view of reading. We know what it's there to do. So how do we make sure that actually that comes to life in terms of what we now call reader profiles? And that's what we started trying to work on together. And that's what you've been implementing in Meridian for the last year. So just talk us through that. So anybody listening yeah. can kind of understand how did you start thinking about the data to develop those reader profiles? Just talk us through how you started that journey at Meridian. So I started by drawing heavily on Guffin Tunmer's simple view of reading. And, and basically, I've used this to frame the way that we're developing teachers' understanding of how students learn to read and to progress with their reading. And it, it's been a, a huge learning curve for me. I always tell the story of how I sent both of my children to school unable to read in reception. And it was as if by magic, their reception teacher sent them back home as readers. And of course, it isn't magic. It's the work of an incredibly highly skilled reception teacher that they had, but I had no understanding of how she'd done it. So 
I think for me, that first part of the journey was very much about kind of trying to make the process of reading feel more tangible for secondary colleagues so that they had a better understanding of the different layers needed to to develop into a skilled reader. And then once I got that in place, once I'd got the kind of simple view of reading as a model properly kind of fixed in my head and I understood it, I was then in a position to to start mapping the NGRT data on top of that reading model and, and, and starting to drill into the, the NGRT test and, and looking at the different parts of the test. So really starting to properly understand the sentence completion and the reading comprehension part of the test and working out what students' performance in those different parts of the test actually were telling us about their reading strengths and, you know, the potential kind of reading barriers. Probably starting to get my understand my head around the fact that you can have a student who's secure in phonics, they can decode words, they know a range of vocabulary, so they're performing okay in the sentence completion part of the test, but because they aren't fluent readers for their age then they're not decoding words automatically and reading at a pace that allows them to make meaning of the passage. And their their performance is much lower on the second part of the test, the passage comprehension part. So I started paying much more attention to the stay nine levels that students achieved in these, these two different parts of the test, as opposed to, I suppose, just reducing everything down to a reading age, which is what we'd, we'd done before, which was essentially just kind of flattening the, the usefulness of the data. I speak with so many so many schools about this and about reading ages and I remember having that conversation with you and almost having like post-it notes on those four different quadrants of the because you know they're useful but they don't tell the whole picture and it's so important to be thinking about that isn't it so we'll take a short break from our interview with Beth we're now moving on to our first data spotlight explainer for this episode remember that these are designed to help you understand the data terminology in an easy way So I'll hand over to Emma and Norman to explain NGRT. Hello, you heard Georgina and Beth talk about our new group reading test earlier. So we're here to explain in a bit more detail what this assessment is and what information it provides you with. We all know how complex a skill reading is. And with reading being of such high priority in schools today, it's important that we know exactly where a learner is in terms of their reading ability. The new group reading test, or NGRT for short, is a reliable way for schools to uncover reading ability in under 30 minutes. Emma, would you like to explain a bit more about what it entails? Yes, of course. So it's built around the simple view of reading. NGRT is a standardised assessment and it measures a learner's word reading and passage comprehension skills. It is available on paper, but the digital version is adaptive. It essentially personalises the testing experience as the questions will change accordingly as the learner makes their way through the test. A lot of schools use NGRT every term as it can help them to identify where intervention may be needed, to monitor the impact of support and to track that progress is being made. Indeed, I know something that commonly comes up with schools we speak to in data consultations is that although they really value the wealth of information NGRT gives them, they don't always know where to start. What are your top tips for looking at the data? That's a great question. I think there's probably two things that I'd look at first. Start with your SAS or your standard age score. If you listen to our last podcast, you'll have heard Sadie and James talk about the importance of standardised testing. The SAS provides a consistent and fair measure, which will help you to plan for the nuanced reading needs of all of your learners. My next tip would be to look at the STAY nines for sentence completion and passage comprehension. These can help you to better understand those nuances. 
the report automatically going to highlight a discrepancy of two or more between these two areas. So it's going to help you to plan for your interventions and to spot those learners that might need further investigation. Absolutely. When we speak to schools, we always encourage them to understand how the data can shed light on the reading strengths and challenges of the groups within their context, as well as enabling them to drill down on individual needs. And now back to our interview with Beth. You've been thinking really hard about how to support, I mean, in your role, you're obviously leading reading across quite a large mat and although you're you're doing something to support your staff, how do you really start thinking about the different needs of school contexts to ensure teachers have that confidence and understanding of what the data is telling them, what the research telling them, but actually how do they then adapt and use strategies to really support children within their context? The easy answer is it's about framing all of this within something that is manageable and sustainable for teachers. You know, I mean, data I love it it's great but I know what you're going to say to that it can just be a bit overwhelming and then you know it's all packaged up into individual reports for each student listing all the things that you know that student needs needs to support with and and that's all really helpful but then you know we need a bit of a reality check when you then kind of multiply that by 30 students in a class and five classes a day and you know it's no wonder that teachers feel exhausted and then I think what what happens is that you don't know where to start, so you end up ignoring it all. And and I really wanted to to go beyond that. So with the reader profiles, and there's 10 of them in total, what I've tried to do is present them in a way that explicitly flags up what the barriers are so that teachers don't need to trawl through the data and lots of reports to discover what a student is struggling with. And then I've grouped these reader profiles into three categories. I've got students who can be supported through classroom practice alone, students who may require additional intervention to support with their reading, and then students who need to um, be prioritised for reading intervention. So so within those those kind of 10 reader profiles, we've got these three loose groups. And, and I think that's really important for teachers and senior leaders because they need to recognise that the majority of our students' reader profiles all have needs that can be addressed through curriculum design and good teaching practice alone. I think that's so important. That It's so important, yeah. It is. Because often you know, when I speak to people, they're thinking about their lowest 20% or, you know, those weaker readers. And actually, like we talked about before, they're not then thinking about that whole spectrum of need and really exactly. that actually, you, you know, you can be, you know, just really good classroom practice is enough to support the majority of students at secondary. Exactly. It doesn't, for everyone, you know, we don't need to embark on this kind of epic undertaking of like, you know, before, during, after school intervention, because, you know, that's what is exhausting for teachers. You know, yes, there are are some students who absolutely need that additional intervention, but yeah, it's not not appropriate for everyone. And, And then I think that starts to make it feel a bit less daunting and teachers feel and leaders feel more receptive to start looking at the data and thinking, right, what can we do about that? And it, it's not about asking the teachers to adapt their teaching in 30 different ways for 30 different students. I think it's about asking them to refine their teaching practice. And, and that refinement needs to go hand in hand with an informed understanding of what students need to develop into skilled readers, which is, you know, why was this part of the journey about let's go back to the beginning and let's understand how do students learn to read in the first place? And one of the things I've done is 
as a part of our um, Trust Professional Learning Programme, I've I've created a series of mini online training modules um, that uh, support teachers in, I suppose, recognising and developing specific strategies that can be used in the classroom to support different aspects of reading. So we've got like a, a module on explicit vocabulary instruction, one on developing comprehension and one on developing reading fluency. And they're all really practical and they also constantly frame these strategies alongside the model of reading and the needs of the different reader profiles, which are informed by the NGRT data. So it's really kind of triangulating this information into something that they can take really easily into into their classroom practice. And that is key, isn't it? Because like you said, we know that there's a huge variability of, of reading proficiency in secondary students. So that that presents a real challenge for teachers, doesn't it? Because we, you've got to meet the needs of all learners. We know that, that that's what we've got to do. But also by triangulating that information, that data, the research with what you know works in the classroom with some of those strategies that you're supporting teachers in understanding, that just allows that curriculum to align with knowledge and skills that we know develop reading ability. Whilst also, I think, really importantly, actually, you talked about this being a journey, but really ensuring that that's part of a continuing professional development plan. I guess that's where your role really works nicely together, actually, because you're in charge of that. They dovetail so nicely. This is it. it honestly, I, I feel so lucky. It really is like bringing together these two passions where one can really unlock the other. Oh, Beth, it's been so lovely to talk to you today. Thank you so much for your time. I know we could keep talking about this forever, but I'm sure everybody's really appreciated understanding the, the journey that you've been on at Meridian and how you've used the reader profiles to really try to kind of bring to life, I guess, the needs of students for all teachers. Absolutely. I'm so pleased. I'm so pleased. It's been really lovely to chat. So you heard Beth and I talk about reading ages in our interview, which is such a hot topic of conversation when we meet with schools. So we're now going to move into our second data spotlight of this episode to explain what they are and how you can use them. So handing back to Emma and Norman. Hello again. Uh, you heard Georgina and Beth talk about reading ages in their interview earlier, and we know a lot of colleagues in school really appreciate the simplicity of this data measure. So we're here just to explain in a bit more detail about how reading ages are calculated and both the benefits and limitations of using them. So Emma, would you like to start us off by explaining exactly what a reading age is? Yes, of course. In any given standardised reading test, a learner's reading age gives us an indication of their reading ability in terms of all learners of the same age completing the same assessment. So, for example, if I take a test and I get a reading age of 13, that means that my score is the same as the average score of a 13-year-old. So, to give another example, imagine we both take a fitness test. Emma, you're 40 but have the fitness age of a 25-year-old as your score is the same as the average result of someone who is 25 years old. Whereas I may be 25, I wish, but test results reveal I have the same fitness level as a 40-year-old. So I'm clearly not as fit as you, Emma. Maybe I need a bit more practice on the treadmill. <laughs> I think we should probably get back to reading ages, as I'm not sure either of us are particularly fit, Norman. Let me tell you about how our reading ages are calculated. In its simplest form, we take the average raw score across NGRT at different chronological ages to help to formulate the reading age of each learner. 
So, for example, if the average raw score for an eight-year-old this time is 20, then any learner scoring 20 would have the reading age of eight years. So we can understand why so many teachers use this data metric as a first way into their NGRT reporting. You're right. Um, a lot of teachers use this as an accessible measure that staff and parents can both engage with because it helps to flag learners whose reading ages are furthest away from their chronological age. So if I was a science teacher, for example, then maybe it would be helpful to understand the reading ages of my class to help me to plan accordingly. However, we would recommend looking beyond the reading age as a next step with staff. Yes, because there are limitations of only using reading ages, aren't there? Reading ages are typically used to consider the reading ability of a single child at a single point in time. But unfortunately, the reality is that reading ages tell us a lot less than they seem to on the surface and can often be misleading. You're so right. Learners can develop their reading ability at different rates depending on their age and stage. So if we were to use only reading age and we have a six-year-old and a 14-year-old who are both reading, say, 12 months behind their chronological age, we'd be looking at vastly different pictures. Exactly. So the six-year-old would most certainly need some level of reading support because the reading ability of a five-year-old is drastically different. That's it. And there isn't typically such a significant difference in the reading ability between older learners, is there? So here we're moving into the limitations of reading ages. Yes, a much fairer way to understand reading progress over time would be to use the standard age score, or SAS for short, as this is adjusted for age. So using the SAS is a consistent way to compare measures of attainment and progress for school staff and parents alike. Now to our light bulb moment. And this is where we would love to hear from all of you. We'll be playing these each episode and we want to hear your stories. So what's the story of your light bulb moment? The moment that you realise the power of your GL assessment data. What difference did it make to you or to your learners? What did you learn? And what problem did it help you to solve? Hello, my name is Louise Deer Jones and um, I work at Sawtree Village Academy, which is a Meridian Trust school. And um, we have been on a literacy journey across um, this academic year. This year, we've started with the NGRT uh, reading tests for our Year 7 students. And this follows the other suite of GL assessments that we use across Years 7 and 8. For NGRT, we've actually rolled this out across the whole of Year 7. And also next year, it will be Year 8 as they follow through school. Our light bulb moment has been really to um, think about what colleagues actually understand from this NGRT test data, uh, which is actually um, really informative. And one of the most important things I think we've done is that we've had our trust literacy lead, Beth Morish, in to deliver training to um, our whole staff body. And this has been particularly useful when starting to look at the particular strengths and weaknesses of students that is born out of the uh, results of the NGRT uh, data. So colleagues have had training on different elements of the NGRT test. For example, we provided training on what sentence and passage completion is and what those scores actually mean in real terms. And following that, students were then split into quadrants to identify which readers have good word recognition, for example, and which don't have um, good comprehension. And that has enabled classroom teachers to really understand how students are accessing texts within their lessons. 
So to get involved, and we really do want to hear from you, so please do contact us and let us know those moments. The best way to get in touch with us is to send a WhatsApp voice note with your contribution to 07917-516-515. Thanks so much for joining us for our second assessment, Joining the Dots podcast. Getting your strategy for reading clear is one of the most crucial roles that you have in school. So we really hope that you have been able to take something away from this episode that you can use. If you would like any more information from us, though, please do head to our training and support site, support.gl-assessment.co.uk or support.gl-education.com. Obviously, that depends on where you are in the world. We've also talked in depth about reader profiles, and that is um, the premise, really, of our reading support pathway, which is now available to schools. So we'd really love to hear your feedback on this. So please do go and find that on the support site and let us know how you're using it to support your learners with their reading. You can also tweet us at GL underscore assessment or GL underscore education. And you can email us if you'd like to know more or to contribute. We would really love to hear from you. We always say that on podcasts, but we mean it. So please do contact us. If you don't want to tweet us, then you can email us on podcast at gl-assessment.co.uk. Please do follow our podcast on whichever platform you're listening to us on. You can subscribe to be notified when new episodes are available. It'd be really amazing if you shared this with your friends and colleagues on social media. And you can even rate our podcast. Join us next time for our wellbeing themed episode, speaking to Matthew Savage, where you'll hear about the importance of listening to student voice. Thanks again for joining us today. See you next time. Mm-hmm.